to 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 you. Hello. <laughs> Happy Bobby oh, Bonillo yeah. Day. Hi. What? <laughs> oh, we'll get to that in sports, but happy Bobby Benio Day. It is July 1st. I don't know what you're talking about. Hi, welcome to the Media Boat Podcast, where apparently we don't count in like we usually do, and it confuses me. Um, <laughs> today is, as, as Mike just said, it is July 1st, 2020. Welcome to another Marooned edition of the Media Boat Podcast. If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, it is a podcast. I mean, it's right there in the name. It does what says on the tin. Um, a podcast specifically about movies, television, video games, and music. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, my name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. We're going to talk a lot about thoughts, maybe. Some news, maybe. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we'll get to talk about The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, we'll get there. But first, we start with movies. First, and it seems to talk about that. But yes, first, we talk about movies, and there was some movie news, but it's uh, movie news that uh, is uh, not surprising at all to anyone. (laughs) Yeah. First up, AMC Theaters has changed their mind again, not only just about the masks like we talked about last week, but this time about when they're opening their theaters. They are pushing back their reopening two weeks. The move comes as coronavirus rates continue to rise in the United States and after Hollywood blockbusters have delayed their releases by several weeks. Warner's pushed Tenet to August 12th and Disney has pushed Mulan to August 21st. These again are all subject to change and I'm sure they will. AMC said it now expects to open 450 of its 600-plus theaters on July 30th, end of this month. It hopes to be essentially fully operational by early August. Major markets, major markets, such as New York City and Los Angeles, have yet to allow cinemas to reopen, and studios are hesitant about distributing movies and theaters without those cities, both which account for a major percentage of box office revenues. Yeah, if you don't open in the biggest metropolitan areas that have are you even are you even really opening then yeah are you really (laughs) even opening like the numbers are just not going to be there yeah this is both yeah this is smart on anc side but also kind of a foreseeable future which if anyone has been paying attention cases have gone up yeah so expected around hundred thousand new cases per day sometime in july we have 4th of July weekend coming up, which also caused cases to spike. Basically, everything bad that you've seen about the U.S. reclosing certain aspects and certain parts is still going to hit the movie industry and their planned reopening of having movies in theaters and people going to theaters. Yeah, it's just going to be a while until you see the numbers that you used to see because people are not going to go even when they do open up until they're sure it's going to be safe to do so. Right. Um, Meanwhile, those that are open are showing old movies, this little sidebar here. Um, And I think I saw Frozen was number (laughs) one movie with like 250,000 with Avengers uh, behind it, number two. Mm -hmm. But again, those are 2,000, oh, Zootopia. It was Zootopia at number one. 
Uh, those are that's a 2016 movie and a 2012 movie being in theaters in 2019 2020. <laughs> Wild West out there. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah. Um, also, quick follow up: Cinemark. We didn't report it last week because it came out like two days later. But Cinemark will also follow in AMC and Regal's footsteps of forcing people or people need to wear masks in order to go back to the movie theater. Which makes sense. If your major competitors are going to do it, you just look bad if you don't. So you've got to all follow suit. Yep. Um, and a side note to uh, uh, going to movies, um, my roommates attended a drive-in movie uh, last week, and they had a little bit of feedback about how that went. Oh, wouldn't you know? I also know someone who went to a drive-in there you go. Yeah, drive-ins all the rage right now since it's a safe alternative to going to an actual movie theater. Except, turns out that when you go to a drive-in and there's literally nothing out, like no new releases of notes, there's some weird stuff playing. It wasn't those movies you mentioned. They saw a double feature with Knives Out, uh, media boat favorite Knives Out. Yes. And a movie called Rocket Dog and Space Cat or something like that. Don't know. Exactly. I had never heard of it. They had never heard of it. You've never heard of it. Nope. Well, apparently it's a pile of garbage. Um, so they, some studio must have had it lying around, ready to release. And they were like, well, let's put it out. It's probably right up there with the Playmobil movie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Similar to the Playmobil movie. <laughs> Media boat favorite, the Playmobil. <laughs> no. Anyway, but... Yeah, so uh, they said Knives Out still holds up, so there's that. Well, yeah, I just watched it on Amazon Prime because it was there. So, yeah, still holds up. I still like it. All right, let's move on to our second story then. American Underdog. What does that mean to you? Well, Man, before we you answer. It, not, no, not Underdog the cartoon. That was already a film. American Underdog. Yeah, we could use an American Underdog right about now. American Underdog, stay away from me. Okay, so here's what American Underdog is. Zachary Levi will take the cinematic field as former quarterback Kurt Warner. Hey! That coming in the movie American Underdog. A faith-based biopic about Warner's rise to national stardom playing for teams like the St. Louis Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. The film will be produced by Lionsgate, which you have here as Lonsgate, which I assume is a typo. Yeah, it's Lionsgate. And Kingdom Story Company, which sounds Christian as all get out. Yep. Uh, with directors John and Andrew Irwin, who directed the extremely Christian energy movie I Can Only Imagine, to adapt Warner's memoir, All Things Possible, colon, My Story of Faith, Football, and the First Miracle Season. Story will chronicle Kurt Warner's life from stocking shelves at the local supermarket to becoming a two-time NFL MVP and a Super Bowl champion. Now, this is a story that I do know about, about how he was stocking groceries and then became an NFL quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. something that I knew years ago uh, <laughs> when he did the resurgence of him playing in Arizona, taking them to the Super Bowl. It's a great story. Don't know if I really want to see this as a faith-based film. <laughs> Otherwise, it is a fun story to just even look into on a yeah, day like Wikipedia it, night. And is it just me or does it seem this is coming a little late? 
I feel like this did, if they wanted to strike while the iron was hot, they should have made this movie a few years ago. Yeah, but I mean, he is currently in the Hall of Fame. He does stuff on NFL Network. Yeah, I see him um, all the time. Yeah, I mean, they probably waited for his book to come out, and then this book has been waiting to be adapted. Um, not in here, but uh, it is being adapted by one of the writers from Friday Night Lights. Okay. So it will have some football elements in it, <laughs> I assume. I can only, I can only imagine. You can only imagine, exactly. <laughs> well, I guess we will see what happens there. Mm-hmm. All right, you have some thoughts. You saw some movies. Gosh, I know, gasp, right? Like gasp. 2020 movies. Ooh, I'm getting, it's getting warm in here. All right, All tell right. me about movies released in the year 2020. So if you, like me, have HBO Max, you were surprised to see that Scoob was available on HBO Max. I'm surprised to hear that right now. I had not known that that was a thing. I knew they added Space Jam today, but I didn't know Scoob was on there. Scoob is on there. I was like, oh, this is here. I guess I'll watch it then. All right. Tell me about Scoob exclamation point. Scoob is the basically retelling of the Scooby-Doo franchise. Mm-hmm. Initially, it's an origin story, but then immediately fast forwards really hard into the Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe that was yes. it at. And this is key because this is the one thing I knew about this before, like right before it came out, is that it's sort of becomes a story that's not explicitly about Scooby-Doo and it's about this other really obscure character and for some reason they thought that was a compelling story for this movie to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, like, solving mysteries in the year 2000, apparently this takes not place. Enough. Yeah, not, not enough for a premise. I only say in 2000s, 2010s, because they have what appears to be iPhones. <laughs> Or at least smartphones, smartphone devices, modern. modern technology. Uh, but yeah, it also stars um, Dick Dastardly, another Hanna-Barbera cartoon villain. Yes, from uh, Wacky Races, I believe. Yes, uh, you know what he looks like. He looks like a classic cartoon villain, but also because his dog does that. Yeah, they rubble, 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 rubble. Right. And it was about that point that I realized, oh, wait, I've seen that character before. And it's definitely a Hanna-Barbera character, to which I was like, okay, that connects it to Dick Dastardly, who was the name of it. I was like, oh, I see the connection here. And then I, while I was on that Wikipedia page while watching it, I was like, oh, wait, Blue Falcon and Dino Dog are actually Hanna-Barbera as well? Huh, I didn't realize that. Which, yeah. They're heavily there, too. But when it really, because uh, at first I was like, oh, little winks and nods here, because they did like the Fred Flintstone uh, bowling scene where he's like tiptoeing up to, for bowling. And they had like an arcade game that had Hong Kong Boo on it. It's like, oh, little winks and nods here and there to Han Barbera. I see what you're doing. But then when it got to Captain Caveman coming in, and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is just full on blown cinematic universe for Han Barbera cartoons. So in that case, who is this for? Because yeah. anybody under the age of 50 at this point, and it's probably higher, to be honest, than even that. I'm being generous with 50. Yes. Has probably never seen an episode of any of these things, except for maybe Scooby-Doo, because it, unlike those other, other properties, 
continued to be rebooted over and over and over again throughout decades. Right. They've had their own iterations for each new generation. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The new Scooby-Doo, Mystery Inc. Yeah. But here's an example of the like the extent of people that are my age or around my age's knowledge of these Hanna Barbera characters. Just last year, I asked friend of the show Christy about like whether she like knew about the character Hanna Barbera character Top Cat. She did not. Okay. She never heard who Top Cat was. But who is this for? Yeah, it's weird. They're making a children's like, movie of sense of you were right? a kid enjoying the cartoons when they came out, your kids have, like, you would have kids who have, have kids. kids. So it's I guess this makes it the grandparent film. Yes, this is your grandparents' nostalgia that they're trying to exercise. And you know what? That's on Hanna-Barbera because they've had op- opportunities. They're part of the big Warner conglomerate now. They've had countless opportunities to reboot these franchises. Which they have. Hanna-Barbera has had other franchises like Dexter's Laboratory and Powerpuff Girls, which they have rebooted, rebooted, rebooted since. Rebooted, rebutted. Why dig up these relics that nobody have heard of to try to reboot them now on the back of a character who actually does still have cultural cachet? Why don't I think you do- because the name and brand of Scooby-Doo is really big that they can do it. But why throw in all these other additional characters? That is lost on me. Here's the disconnect for me. What you do and what's been established as a, like the Marvel method, is you do one really strong movie with your core character. You do a Scooby-Doo movie and make it about Scooby-Doo. Then in the sequel... Then you do the kind of let's open the door to these other worlds and these other franchises, work them into the story, and then do spinoffs. Do the Marvel method. Don't do this. This is just muddying the brand. This is confusing people. This is throwing people the Avengers without establishing anybody within it. It's Avengers without Iron Man first. Yeah. That's what it is. All right. So we got all the kind of the big overhead view stuff out of the way. How's the actual movie? Not that bad. Okay. It's surprisingly not that bad. It could definitely have been worse. I could definitely see spots where it could have gone worse. But there were also a lot of like tongue-in-cheek moments in it. A lot of direct call-outs to either old Scooby-Doo episodes or fandom mm-hmm. or just other like cartoon-based action stuff that would happen in a 60s cartoon. Um, I will say that out of all the characters, um, Zac Efron is definitely one out of place. He plays Fred in this yeah, thing. I'd imagine. He's just playing Zac Efron with a Fred mask, and that's what definitely what it feels like. <laughs> doesn't try to change his voice. doesn't try and do a Fred impression. It's just straight up Zac Efron voice, whereas everyone else at least does a variation take on their established character. Disappointing. <laughs> it kind of is. It tells the line between both disappointing and somewhat fresh take. But I think with it throwing a lot of the Hanna-Barbera's el- extra elements into it, it kind of tears it towards being the not recommend than the recommend. 
Yeah, I figured that that was it was going to be kind of just middle. Mm-hmm. Interesting though. Interesting that they're trying this. Um, and man, bad timing, right? Like they were trying to make this an event film, and it just did not. The timing was not fortuitous. Yeah, like like I think you said, like if there had like established stuff prior to this to make a team up, yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But then again, where do you start with that? Like, who do you get to all be in it together? Yeah. All right. What else did you watch this week? Um, I watched a movie we talked about a while ago that when we first saw it, it was like, oh, this may seem funny for yeah. um, uh, Netflix starring Will Ferrell called Eurovision, colon, the story of Fire Saga. Right. So, yeah, this is the, they're like. <sighs> Iceland. It's like it's their parody. It's the American parody take of Eurovision. So yeah, I hesitate to say parody because Eurovision is a very real thing. Yes, but they're basically like a fictional competitor in Eurovision. Yes. Okay. And to my sh- or not to my shock, but the shock of the people I was watching it, that Eurovision was actually a thing. Okay, they didn't know it was real. They didn't know it was a real thing. They really thought, oh, this is just some European singing contest, which I think is where they were basing this off of on an American audience, not knowing what Eurovision is, that it's all these different countries putting forth a single song to basically compete against each other. But it's a... For being a Will Ferrell movie, I left more than my fair share. Okay. It is surprisingly funny at times. I think Rachel McAdams definitely acts her ass off in this thing, <laughs> um, especially keeping the Icelandic uh, accent throughout the whole, whole thing. Will Ferrell goes in and out of it, uh, whereas Pierce Brosnan is just a Icelandic-Irish brogue <laughs> accent, which sometimes doesn't mesh with it. Um, overall, I think it's a pretty funny film. There are some moments that are definitely cringeworthy. One thing that did catch my eye, but this is for like a technical thing, is that it didn't feel like at most times it was filmed in 24 frames, but rather in 30 frames, because it did feel at times either television-esque or... Um, shot via DSLR. <laughs> which is really weird, really strange. Yeah. Um, but but it's not in like uh, in sequences where you think they would, like, oh, it's Eurovision. Clearly we're going to show it in Eurovision TV show 30 frames, but rather like a party scene which it, it looked like at one point it was supposed to be a long take, but they couldn't either do it or had too many things going on, too many messages. They're like, okay, we're just going to cut it up and kind of scrap that idea because they couldn't get it right. And it's like, okay, it's, it felt weird, but what they had worked for it in the weirdness, comedic sense of it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That because it's framed in the comedy, it's okay to be weird with what they're doing. <laughs> but still, it seemed like they were trying to like force a square hole in a round peg. <laughs> Wait, round, hmm. Square peg in a round hole. There you go. <laughs> You're halfway there. Yes. 
Uh, I saw this and I was like, eh, should I watch this at some point? Maybe. But I, when I saw you add it on here, I was like, okay, I'll hear what he has to say about it before pull the trigger on it. It's okay. It's not Will Ferrell's best comedy, but also definitely not his worst. See Holmes and Watson for that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a fine Netflix film. I would definitely not pay money to see this thing. No. Um, there's not a whole lot to positively take away. But the overall message that it tries to present, which is be true to yourself, sing from your heart, yeah, definitely flows throughout the whole thing. And I think it, it, it nails, for that message, it nails it on the head. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, you have one more thing to talk about here. Uh, other Netflix film, Athlete A. Hey. This is uh, about the Larry Nassar uh, women's gymnastic doctor. Okay. He went to trial in 2018, I believe, 2019. Uh, and yeah, so it's about that. Um, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. I'm only saying it's not good because The Price of Gold, which is the HBO version of this, oh. did it way better. So this has been made, this story has been told in a better way already. So you're yes. like, this is not necessary. It's also really strange because the first hour, it made me really weird because the first hour was basically set up of why are we using underage young girls to send to the Olympics for gymnastics. Yeah. And it was like, wait, are we, are you saying it to like justify why we're, why they were in this position? Uh, that was really weird. Yeah, that's worrying. <laughs> I was like, what are you, where are you going with this? Like you're giving me a history of gymnastics lessons of like why we stopped sending like 20 something athletes instead of started sending teenagers. <laughs> I was like, where, where are you going with this? Why, yeah. why, why are you telling me this? <laughs> but it's but the difference between um, the price of gold and athlete A is that athlete A tries to go after the U.S. gymnastics organization, right? Which is why it set all that up and tried to say that they were mainly to blame, whereas the price of gold kind of puts everyone in the blame and mm. shows that everyone is to blame, but in a more compact story yeah. of like this person hid this person and this person did nothing and this person delayed and so on and so forth. That was all yeah. big cover up. Whereas athlete A tries to take that same information and put the pin on US gymnastics to try and make them change. Athlete A puts it on all these different individuals who are, yes, a part of the organization, but never outrightly says the organization is at fault. It's yeah. these people. And you see this a lot when there's two different documentaries about the same subject. Is it mm -hmm. like a lot of it's the same overlap of the same information, but the point they're trying to make might be different. It sounds like that's the case here. Yeah, it seemed like The Price of Gold was more about the actual trial and the actual story of all the women, whereas Athlete A tried to tell the story of the one specific athlete. Right. 
okay. while also incorporating everything else that happened. So yeah, so ultimately you say like, if you haven't seen the HBO one, probably go and see that instead or do that instead. Yeah, well, it's like when the, the two different fire Festival documentaries came out at the exactly. same time. One was clearly better than the other. Right, it's like that. It's like that. Okay. The HBO one is better. And it came out last year, too. Okay, so it's recent enough where it's not going to be obsolete now. Right. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on to television, because I didn't see any movies, that's for sure. All right. Let's talk about sports, sports corner time. And you, uh, to use something at the beginning here, who is Bobby Bonilla? Bonilla? Bonillo. Bonillo. You have an A here. Oh, I have an A. Bobby Bonillo. Bobby Bonillo. Explain why this is Bobby Bonillo Day. So, um, Bobby Bonillo is a New York Met, or should I say, was a was. New York Met. Okay. Uh, for every year for, from 2010 to 2035, on July 31st, he gets paid $1.2 million because of the deferred contract from the Mets. <laughs> so this is Bobby Bonilla Day where he gets, he gets a paid. check for $1.2 million. Paycheck. Well, good for him. <laughs> and that, that's him deferring his salary that he was going to be paid over the next 30, 25 years? 2000, 2000 to 2035. That's a nice gig. Yeah. I wish I could just like sit around and get a $1.2 million paycheck once a year. I know, right? Well, right. it's only... It's funny that MLB is the only one who does this because they don't have a salary cap. Yeah. Otherwise, like NFL, NBA, uh, NH, I think there's like only a couple of players in the NHL because before they added salary cap. But because they have salary cap, they can't have deferred salaries that have to be paid out within that year. Right, right, right. Well, what do you know? But yeah, happy Bonilla Day. Enjoy your <laughs> $1.2 million. $1.2 million. Speaking of the NFL, we have news about uh, so that uh, people keep moving from team to team. Yes. And in case you're wondering who is going to fill that Tom Brady-sized hole in the P- Patriots uh, roster, it's none other than Cam Newton. Uh, you mean former NFL MVP Cam Newton? Turns former out, Former Super yes. Bowl quarterback Cam Newton? The very same Cam Newton. So tell me about scam to scam scam there's there's two there's scam newton and there's nam kooten nam kooten that's what i was thinking (laughs) damn tootin tell me about (laughs) damn tootin uh in a slow play of bill belichick moving pieces around yeah uh mr sidham mr studman may not be the official quarterback of the patriots as he now has competition with um Cam Newton after they yeah. decided to let him go or rather let him seek free agency yeah last off season well so do you think he's gonna put like training camp starts and he's just gonna put the two of them and just like all right outdo each other I mean maybe but you also saw like what uh Lamar Jackson did with the Baltimore Ravens mm-hmm. and Cam Newton is, has like a whole foot and 200 pounds on him <laughs> he's basically a, a huge defensive like a uh, defensive lineman in the quarterback position who just right, over right. people right so if they try and implement that kind of offense it is hard to stop yeah it's gonna be a real interesting uh thing if they actually play <laughs> <laughs> yes that's also the thing about this uh, also um real quickly there's a lot of discussion on how much he's being 
paid because for being an NFL quarterback, for being a starting, potential starting quarterback, for being a former NFL MVP, you think he'd be getting a sizable chunk of money. Yeah. That is not the case. He's getting $1.7 million to be for a one-year contract. Which, but, let's be real, is a lot of money, but in comparison to similar contracts... In comparison to backup quarterbacks who are being paid more, yeah. that is a very Small. big disparity. Yeah. A lot of people are quickly to point out race on this. Other people, like yeah. my doctors, point out that Cam Newton is riddled with injuries, so we don't know how healthy he is. That, part, part um, part that being team. said, it may be deferring more towards the latter as even though he's getting paid the league minimum uh, for a starting quarterback at $1.1 million, the contract is built in with incentive incentives where at the end he could reach as high as uh, $7.5 million. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see what happens with that. Well, there has to be a season first, but hey, we'll get there when we get there. We'll get there when we get there. Speaking of which, a little baseball update for you. Last week we talked about how there will be that truncated 60-game MLB season. Mm-hmm. That being said, players do have the right to opt out. And we have four players here, you says that you say here that have already decided to opt out of the truncated season. Yes, uh, one of them being on the uh, World Series winning team last year, the Nationals, first baseman Ryan Zimmerman, has okay. said he will not be playing. Uh, right. He recently has a newborn and also a, takes care of his elderly mom, to which he says, uh, I feel like I'm going to sit out this season. Yeah, Ob- family, familial obligations sounds like a pretty good excuse. Yep. Uh, that being said, only four players decided not to return. So uh, today was the official date for everyone to report. Okay. Uh, July 1st, MLB was to report to their respective stadiums to begin their two-week training period. Three so if training. I go so if I go drive down the, the freeway, I'm going to see some uh, action. You'll see a lot of cars. <laughs> A lot of really nice cars hanging out at Angel Stadium. Oh, I bet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll just uh, do a little peek, do a little peek in there and see if there's uh, some baseballs flying. <laughs> uh, I'm not actually going to do that, but I should. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, speaking of baseball, minor league baseball, we kind of already went over that this was going to be the likely outcome here, but now it's official. Minor league baseball, the season's just canceled. There's no minor league this year. Yeah, the MLB will not have teams being sent to minor leagues for them to play, for them to train. So they're just canceling that, the, that entire season. That being said, MLB teams will still have three players from the minor leagues on their, rota- right. on their active replacement roster. Right. One right. of them being a catcher, which we discussed yeah. last week. In case they're needed, yeah. Yes. All right, let's uh, hop sports uh, across the freeway to hockey and uh, talk about the NHL draft lottery results. Now, you were watching this with bated breath because your Los Angeles Kings um, ranks pretty highly here, but not the highest. So your top three lottery results here, these are the top three picks, basically. They get the first three picks, correct? Yes. Uh, You have been in third place here, the Senators, you have the second place, your Kings. And then mm-hmm. first, 
to be determined. Yes, in sort of a tongue-in-cheek kind of gimmicky way for people to watch the upcoming <laughs> NHL playoffs, the number one seed will instead go to the first team knocked out in the upcoming restart of the league. So, yeah, so the first team that does not cut, cut the mustard will get this first draft pick. Yes, the first corn that does not rise with the cream. <laughs> Ew. Well, <laughs> we'll Gross. get the first pick of the upcoming draft, which is a very producer way of saying, please watch. You know <laughs> your team may not. Please watch so your t- and root against your team. Yeah, get the number one pick <laughs> gives it gives people a reason to watch, even if you know that your team barely made it by the skin of their teeth into this lineup, and that they will likely lose. Yes, which is does not again is not you because the Kings are not playing. Is that correct? Yes, the Kings are not playing, which is why they're number two. Uh, the Ducks are also not playing, but they yeah. also got number six, so, which we so, both heard an earful of on Saturday. <laughs> yes, we did. And so, yeah, so we, here in the uh, the California, uh, the Southern California market here, we are not interested at all, is basically what you're saying. Yeah. There's no, no, no dice here. Anyway, and... Lastly, in uh, hockey here, the, the other hockey news here. So we knew already that there were going to be two hub cities, unlike baseball, which changed their mind about the hub cities idea. Mm-hmm. Hockey's doing it. And they've decided on the two, uh, well, likely, this seems to be the most likely options for the two cities. And guess what? They're not in the United States. They're in Canada, which makes sense. Because when you consider the numbers of COVID-related Infections, cases, infections. Uh, cases um, are going like this. I'm doing an upwards motion with my hand for the audio listeners here in the U.S., while in Canada, they're kind of doing a this, which is a much lower, lower kind of curve here. So it would make sense if you have teams in Canada to have the hub cities be there. So Edmonton and Toronto look like the likely choices here. Yeah, the top U.S. cities were supposed to be Chicago and Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing as Las Vegas isn't even open yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they wanted to use Las Vegas because it's the new arena. They wanted I mean, to use that new arena. Yeah, that, that arena. But yeah, but if they're open, <laughs> they're having people there. They sure are advertising a lot. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, somebody please come to Las Vegas for the love of God. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, yeah, this is smart. This is smart to have it in Canada. Yeah, I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense. Put the Canadian sport in Canada yeah. and let them play in the cold. Well, it's not outdoors, but still. It's still. <laughs> cold. Cold in, in the cold In the cold uh, indoor arena. Yeah. Okay, anything else in sports before we move off of sports and into television news? Uh, real quickly, I know you're not interested, but we will have a dual Indianapolis weekend, or okay. the weekend, with both NASCAR and the Indy 500 taking place back-to-back days So if you like, in the same place. If you like enclosed cars and then you also like open cars, do I have a weekend for you? Go to Indianapolis, Indiana, 
and yeah. stand outside and listen to fast cars because right. you can't listen get in. Because you cannot get in and watch it. Well, that sounds fun. Yep. All right. Let's talk about television news. Our first story is not about television, really. It's about streaming television. Well, uh, it deals with CBS, Viacom CBS. Yeah, that's sort of. Uh, so it's the biggest story of the week, probably, because it's the biggest uh, um, unfortunate financial news for people who are members of this service we're going to talk about. YouTube TV, YouTube television, which is, of course, their um, cable replacement solution, uh, not unlike Sling. The cord cutters. Yeah, or your... Um, AT&T, it's their equivalent to all this formerly known PlayStation View, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a subscriber to this, Um, so this directly affects me, I'll get into in a moment. But they've announced some changes happening in the YouTube world, and there's good news and there's bad news. The good news comes is that they are adding networks. We had previously reported this that they were planning on making a deal with Viacom CBS and adding some of their networks to the lineup. This includes BET, CMT, Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, Paramount Network, TV Land, and VH1. So those are now available as of yesterday on your YouTube TV. No need to upgrade, you just get those channels as is. The bad news is, is that these additions have raised the price. The monthly price of YouTube TV will increase to $64.99 a month. This is a $15 jump from the current price, $49.99, which is a 30% increase. For new customers who have not signed up for your YouTube TV yet, this new price is like starts now, as of the end of June. If you are an existing customer, the bill on August 20, like end of, by the end of August, will be, will show the increase. So you'll have your locked down $50, $50 for the month of July, but then after that, you go up to the $64.99. That being, so that's a big increase. It's a big jump and it's going to probably make Sorry, a lot of people. Sorry, i uh, it's probably going to make a lot of people th- uh, question uh, the financial viability of YouTube compared to other options like your Sling TVs. Um, but they have given us the promise of more down the line. The Viacom deal will eventually also add BET Her, MTV2, MTV Classic, Nick Jr., Nick Tunes, and Teen Nick at a later date. No word, though, on whether that will be rolled into the existing everybody gets it subscription or whether those will be in addition for an additional price, like stars or like some of the other options that they've time. So it's a lot to think about if you're either an existing subscriber or someone who is looking to be a cord cutter. Um, and price-wise, it's getting to the point where really the only difference between a cable subscription with a traditional cable provider and one of these bundle packages is whether or not you want a set-top box to rent. That is literally the difference now. Yeah, because I think even for us paying for Spectrum, it's at 75 a month. Yeah. And that you're talking about a $10 difference there. 
yeah, I looked into it a couple months ago thinking that I was going to save some money potentially. And what I found out very quickly was to get the channels I would want and I would need to rent the set-top box to get DVR, I would add to add the DVR package. Set-top box with DVR package would have added $15 to the $45 price. So I would be basically paying the same thing. So for me, it just didn't right. add up and it made more sense to stay using the YouTube thing. So now I'm caught. I'm caught in a kind of a problem where it's like for $10, I have this thing. And right now it's in, in, you know, in this, in this time of this pandemic, it's even harder because I can't necessarily have a dude show up from spectrum and deliver these things to me and install it. He cannot, it cannot enter. They're being prohibited from entering homes. So it's like, I don't have an option. I guess I'm stuck. I'm stuck in YouTube. And I'm also, which also means I'm stuck in the, um, Fox Sports, uh, like, Weird Valley right now, which is, there are no sports, so they're not renegotiating that Fox Sports deal that was happened before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But when there are sports, say, baseball is telecast, do they all of a sudden renegotiate and decide to pull out and I lose the sports networks after I started paying more for the service? Probably. So I'm screwed in a lot of ways but I feel like I'm more screwed by Spectrum. So I don't know. I don't know what to do at this point. I'm just, I'm going to pay $65, I guess, until they figure their shit out. Well, we finally hit it. Seven years later, we finally hit the weird streaming bubble yep. of prices finally caught up with yep. actual cable TV. And it's the network, it's the, it's the conglomerates that did it. The conglomerates didn't want to play ball for anything less than they were already making deals for. Mm -hmm. Viacom probably came to YouTube, Google in this case, and probably Google was like, well, yeah, we'd love to have these guys. How much, how much are you asking though? And they probably came to them with a big price tag and they were like, that's a lot of money. Like we we would love to give our customers this, but, we have to have them eat it on their end because we're spending millions of dollars, presumably, on this deal. Yeah, I'm surprised that, that YouTube doesn't have the a la carte option where if you want the Viacom, you want the, the NBC, you want the, the Cox, Disney, whatever. So that's the thing that's interesting, is YouTube's being surprisingly transparent about this on their mm -hmm. Twitter account and kind of, I guess, to fend off some of the people crying out about the price increase, they straight up said this price increase is because when the, when the conglomerates come to them and offer, hey, I know you expressed interest in this one network of ours, they won't give them just the one network. They say, no, you have to, in order to get this one thing, we're giving you 12 of our networks and you cannot say no. This is yes or no like we're out the door unless you get all of these and then google has to then be like well i guess if we're going to get all of these then we have to make them pay for all of these they said that straight up on their twitter account i was just like that's awfully transparent but i get it if you're youtube tv's social manager and that you have to make sure that you answer everybody's question before they answer before they ask it right it's just it's a bad it's a bad situation. And yeah, it's getting to the point we all saw coming, which is this is just cable. It's just cable. Mm -hmm. 
it's unfortunate. It's a bad showing. Mm-hmm. Possibly story of the year. I don't know. If baseball doesn't beat it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. It's going to be a weird-ass year. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's just going to get weirder from here on out. All right. Speaking of weird about, stuff. Speaking of the streaming future, we have some streaming news about DC Universe and HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So uh, HBO Max launched, and a lot of people thought that it was going to roll in a lot of the content, original content especially, that Warner and DC had created for DC Universe, their DC-themed streaming service that had already existed. That service has a lot of original and returning superhero content, comic-based content, but also has comic archives that you can actually read some of the uh, like digital versions of some analog comic comics. Um, they've announced today that they are now offering a discounted rate for customers who already have DC Universe, to add HBO Max to their account. So basically, $4.99 a month additional to your existing DC Universe account, which is, I believe, $8.99 a month? Uh, yeah. Um, will get you HBO Max content. That is a big discount if you consider that most people pay $14.99 a month for HBO Max by itself. Um, so it's a pretty good deal combining for for existing customers. If you're not an existing customer, though, you can't do this deal. Um, DC Universe subscribers all, all, who have already pulled the, uh, the trigger. trigger on HBO Max are also not eligible. So basically, the only way you can do this is if you ponied up for DC Universe already and you have not signed up for HBO Max. Right. If you're in that DC Universe and you didn't pay for that first month, of HBO Max. That's the only way you can get this discounted deal. Honestly, I thought they would be doing it the other way around. That's what I thought too. But then I, I thought they would be hacking like, on universe to HBO. But this actually makes more sense when you consider that the people that already had DC Universe are their power users because mm-hmm. the only reason you would have had that is if you're a super fan. It's very niche content. So this is smart in a way because they're like incentivizing their existing customers to expand their already expanding HBO Max audience. Not the yeah. other way around. Don't be surprised they do the same thing with Crunchyroll, whereas Crunchyroll has a lot of content on it by a lot of users. Yeah. Not by a lot of users, but people who have signed up for Crunchyroll but may not have signed up for HBO Max because they already get it. their anime binge stuff there. <laughs> yeah. It's a way for them to expand the numbers for HBO Max, which is their focus right now. Mm-hmm. Not Their focus is not to expand numbers for DC Universe or Crunchyroll. Right. So, yeah, it makes sense. When you and they need to expand fast because yeah. Peacock is 15 days away. Yeah, Peacock's coming. Okay, that's it for television news. You have some uh, thoughts about something that was television related. I'm guessing this is a Disney Plus thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, I guess you could slide this into movies, but it's set up on Disney Plus as sure. a six-part series. Okay. And it is Into the Unknown. Cue, cue music here. Into the Unknown. <laughs> yes. Into, okay, I'm not going to hit that high note. That <laughs> uh, Into the Unknown, colon, the making of Frozen 2. All right, so this is a making of miniseries. You said six parts? Yeah, six parts. Um, it details the final year uh, leading up to 
the release of Frozen 2, which was, believe it or not, six months ago. <laughs> that seems Seven months insane. Ago. November. That's crazy to me because I feel like that was years ago. Yeah, that, that was last November. Oh, my God. That came out. Somebody on a podcast I was listening to today said that December 2019 was Star Wars. That's uh, 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 the whatever the, last the, Jedi. the title is. The last movie. Yeah. Skywalker. Rise of the Skywalker. Rise of the Skywalker. And I was like, that was only in December. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. All right. So uh, making of. Yeah. Frozen two. Uh, it. It does a lot of stuff that I like as a cinematic experiencer, as yeah. someone who studied <laughs> film, who likes all the backstory and who listens to commentary. Not once, taught twice, but three times. Uh-huh. Uh, constantly. Uh, stuff that I like. All the backstories into it. All the rewrites. All the reshoots. All the stuff that, oh, we need to cut this. This doesn't make sense. Oh. Test audiences. Does this prove my theory that this film was rewritten a billion times? Yes, it does. Yeah, I called it, that, huh? Oh, some people <laughs> had songs, but we had to cut it. Some people had extra scenes, but we had to cut it. <laughs> Uh, some of the stuff was more fleshed out, but we had to cut it. And the main reason that I got that they cut it was because they did it for the kids. For the kids. And it's the exact reason that the uh, Olaf redoes Frozen is in the movie. Because you have kids who either may not have seen Frozen 1 or may not have remembered everything in Frozen 1. Yeah. And so it was a quick introduction of, hey, let's rush through everything in a fun way to people who not only may not have seen it, but also for the characters who were newly introduced to not, who need to also be caught up with everything that happened in Frozen 1. Uh, But I do like all the backstory animation to it, all the pitch meetings, all the rewriting sessions they went through, all the recording, the dialogue, uh, the, what is it? Josh Gad's um, continuous improvisation on everything that he does. So for me, and because I like that kind of stuff, it's fun. I like it. It's good. For other people, maybe not so much. It does get a little too technical at times. (laughs) But it did its job and maybe put on Frozen 2 again. Yeah. Which I think is what its main job is. Hey, <laughs> here's the backstory to Frozen 2. Does it make you want to watch the movie again? <laughs> and it did. It made me want to watch the movie again. So in that, I think it succeeded. Yeah, that sounds like something I would, uh, I would be in, into. So I should probably watch that. Uh, when, you first had, when I first saw that you had this on here, I was like, did they just take a Blu-ray special feature and put it on Disney Plus? But no, when you said it's like a series, I was like, oh. That's neat. That's neat it's, that they yeah, it's six parts. I think each part is like thirty or forty minutes. Yeah, it's neat that they had enough material to actually put a whole thing up here. Mm-hmm. That's cool. All right. But yeah, you get to see a lot of the Lopez's in it. A lot of Lopez. <laughs> yes. Well, there you go. All right. Let's move on then out of television and into cancellations and renewals. All right. What am I no longer watching? Council of Dads canceled on NBC. No more dads. They're done. Oh no. Not dads. Not 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 just past Father's Day. No, no dads anymore. They're canceled. All dads are canceled. 20s on BET gets a second season. 
Ozark, its fourth season will be its last on Netflix. So, bye, Ozark. You lasted two more seasons than every other Netflix show, so there's that. Hey. Curb Your Enthusiasm will get an 11th season in HBO because, hey. Because there, David asked for one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it for cancellations renewals. Moving into deaths here. Handful here. Joe Sinnott, age 93, a Hall of Fame comic book artist, uh, drew for The Avengers, Thor, Fantastic Four, among others. Uh, among other know, Marvel properties. Marvel uh, com- uh, contributor there. Mm-hmm. Huey, just one name, I guess. Huey, age 31, rapper, uh, famous for Pop Lock and Drop It, which I'm sure all of you have heard at least once at a school dance. <laughs> Yes, those are the lyrics, pop, lock, and drop it. Lock and drop it. Stuart Kornfeld, age 67, a film producer, produced films such as Dodgeball and Tropic Thunder. Sounds like he worked with Ben Stiller a lot. I was going to say, what's the common theme there? Yeah, there's a Stiller connection. Kelly Asbury, age 60, animator, film, animator slash film director. Uh, worked on Spirit, Shrek 2, and Nomeo and Juliet. So it looks like it was part of the DreamWorks family. Yep. And so uh, they worked on uh, some other other features as well. There you go. Lastly, though, the big uh, unfortunate death this week, a comedy legend uh, we lost this week. Carl Reiner, age 98. Actor, writer, director, 11-time Emmy winner, one-time Grammy winner, huge a uh, piece of comedy history famous for the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, Steve Martin's The Jerk, Ocean's Eleven, countless, countless other appearances on late night shows, cameo appearances on sitcoms and movies, just a famous staple of the comedy world. Uh, his son, Rob Reiner, also extremely famous. Uh, the family is well known. Um, and yeah, Carl uh, made an impact on uh on comedy and he will definitely be missed yeah this is one of those titans of the industry that uh fell but that being said said age 98 this was an inevitability it's amazing that he lived as long as he did yes yeah there you go uh i think he was the first recipient of the mark twain humor award yes uh 2000 when they started it so clearly Mm -hmm. if you're the first person of anything yeah, you mattered a lot. You matter. All right, let's move into music and let's talk about some things that don't matter as much. All right, we start uh, music with the Billboard and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100. What's going on here? What are the All hot right. singles? The hottest one is A Big Rock Star uh-huh. by Da Baby featuring Roddy Rich. Yep. Uh, once again, your number one song. And number two, Savage by Megan Thee Stallion, featuring Beyonce. At number three, Blinding Lights, by The Weeknd. At number four, and the only new entry into the top five, Roses, by Saint Jim. (laughs) Yeah, I'm guessing this is another one of those TikTok things, because I have no idea what the hell this is. Don't know. I don't know. And number five, well, back in the top five, Intentions, yeah. uh, Justin Bieber featuring Quavo. Quavo. I mean, Justin Bieber's name has been in the news uh, recently, and you know what they say about bad publicity. <laughs> There's no such thing. Uh, 
anyway. Anyways, uh, let's move into the albums chart. You'll be over 200. Yes. Uh, your number one album this week is My Turn by Lil Baby. Uh, at number two, Rough and Rowdy Ways by Bob Dylan. Yep. At number three, Artist 2.0 by A Boogie with the Hoodie. You're probably, uh, if you're wondering, um, this thing was on the top five a few weeks ago, dropped all the way down the chart, and for some reason, and I'm not really clear why, jumped from number 77 to number three this week. Ticket sales. Wait, I don't, no, that's not no, a thing. that's not an option right now. Yeah. I don't know why. I have no idea why, but man, for the love of us, we cannot get rid of a boogie with the hoodie. (laughs) I don't know. At uh, number four, blame it on baby by the baby. And at number five, because no album list is complete without it. Apparently Hollywood's bleeding by post Malone. (laughs) Yeah. You'll notice that uh, these albums bumped off uh, Lady Gaga into number six this week. So she is just outside with chromatica mm-hmm. i actually listened to that album again this past weekend still good yep it's still good all right uh well if you don't want to listen to any of those albums or a lady gaga album uh we also have new releases all right what am i listening to this week i don't know what you're listening to this week but here are the new releases all right we have no number and no. no by boris we have On Sunset by Paul Weller. And lastly, we have First Rose of Spring by Willie Nelson. Yep. Yes, that Willie Nelson. Yeah, a really light release week. I'm not sure. Next week we'll return to a bigger bigger lineup. But it's a light release week because releases come on Friday and it's the um, holiday. holiday weekend. Yeah, that's probably July right. weekend. Uh, real quickly, though. For those of you who do like music and new releases and want to see something, Hamilton on Disney Plus this Friday. Yeah, that, that's more of a TV story, but really, yes. Um, but but you, you watch Hamilton for the music, though. I mean, really, it's a Broadway story, which is something we don't cover right. yet on Media Boat Podcasts. <laughs> we have some uh, behind-the-scenes talk that it may be something that we bring to the show later, but we'll see. Well, before we get to that, yes. we get music. Music news and music news this week consists of a little bit of here, a little bit of there, all the music bits we got. Yeah, music bits. There was so much happening this week that I crammed it all into one story for you. All right. Uh, first up, Elton John is launching classic concert streaming series featuring concerts from his career starting on said July 3rd. So yeah, if you want to see old-ass uh, Elton John concerts from like the 70s till current day, he's going to be just posting those on a weekly basis. Uh, on on YouTube? YouTube, I assume? YouTube, yes. If you search on, on YouTube, you should see it. Uh, but yeah, starting Friday, I think the one Friday will be a really early 70s era Elton John concert for you. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Uh, we also have Maroon v, I mean five, five Maroon four. Five bassist Mickey Madden arrested for domestic violence. Why are we covering this? Because it's news. Because it's news. It happened. Uh, yeah, well, we also have speaking of recovering it because it's news. 
Chase Rice uh, held a concert in Tennessee with hundreds of maskless fans. All right. Yeah. So I know about this story. So here's what happened is they had this concert. The footage went on the internet very quickly from people who were there mm-hmm. and spread like wildfire, making a lot of people angry that they were infecting everyone around them. So this was originally set up as a drive-in concert. People right. would park their cars and supposed to party next to their car in the designated area. Supposed to. Supposed to, I say, because as video showed and as country fans have uh, clearly shown a disregard for you know, yeah. mask wearing or social distancing, it became a mad rush party. Yeah. So, yeah. So the second half of the story, which was long, I didn't include because this is the bits, uh, the second half of this is that Chase Rice went on later on social media to basically make a statement about it. He, first of all, did not apologize or say that there was any issues. He did basically was very defensive about it. But then he did say that he recommends that for future concerts, see this like weird like double standard of nothing went wrong, it's totally fine, but let's do it differently next time is like a little contradictory. Uh, But he said that basically saying like, hey, when we do this again, there are more dates for this drive-in series. Um, he's, he encourages people to follow the rules. Right. I believe those dates were actually taken off of his Instagram <laughs> and will be put up at a later date. Yeah. So who knows at this point, but so yeah, he did not do his, uh, his duty as a public figure by saying y'all shouldn't have done that. Um, instead he was very like hedging his bets because he probably doesn't want to lose the diehard fans, and probably mm-hmm. a very large number of his diehard fans are probably the ones who are like, eh, who needs the mask? Let's do this. Like, let's do this again. It's like, just don't have the concert, man. Just don't have the concert unless you're confident that it's going to be safe for the people who go to your concert. I don't know. My well, it's Tennessee. It's Chase Rice. Maybe not a lot of people would show up. <laughs> no, there were lots of people there. <laughs> Well, any excuse for people to go out and gather. Anyway, let's keep a little bitten on here. Anyway, let's keep up bitten on with MTV VMAs, an award show, something happy. Yeah, sort of. Sort of, as it will be held at the Barclays Center with limited to no audience. I assume this means that only the award, either winners or people nominated, will be there yes. with relegated staff. So yeah, we had briefly talked about this when it was theoretically offered. Um, This is confirmed now, though. The city gave them an okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, so chances are this will be you fly in the celebrities, you distance them, and then you have them do the performances and the award acceptances uh, with no audience or limited audience. So that's what they're going to do. Hey, someone's got to get their Moon Man. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, we also have independent music blog Stereo Gum launches crowdfunding campaign alongside benefit compilations. So here's what happened here. So Stereo Gum used to be, un- used to be in- independent originally when they launched. We're independent yes. for years. Got bought by, the comp- the, by Billboard. Uh, we're a Billboard affiliate for, I want to say, two to three years. But at the beginning of this year, in January, the, the uh, editor-in-chief basically bought back the site and made it independent again. 
So uh -huh. from January to the beginning of the pandemic, they were doing fine and they were ready to do a site relaunch and they were all prepared to like enjoy being independent again. Then the pandemic happened and apparently ad re revenue tanked for them. Uh, they had to, had to run like a billion obtrusive ads on their site right now in order to make up the money. So ultimately the EIC was like, this is sucks. This sucks as an experience for our readers and this is not gonna do. So the solution to their problem is they started a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo that launched this week. And to uh, help promote it, they've done a compilation with several of artists that are associated with the website. So basically a lot of names I would recognize and not that many that you would. And um, they're doing uh, covers. It's covers of songs from the 2000s. Hmm. So yeah, so like there's, there's a band doing a cover of Cake. There's a band doing a cover of, like to basically think of like buzz, buzz, like buzzy 2000s bands and they'll probably will be covered here. Um, so yeah, uh, if you are interested, go to Indiegogo, search Stereo Gum, you'll find their crowdfunding. Uh, they have a flexible goal, so like they're trying to just make as much money as they can. And then, yeah, there's a bunch of incentives like t-shirts and uh, sticker packages and a Zoom launch party. It's, it's pretty fun. And yeah, everybody who uh, donates at least $5, I believe, will get this compilation album. So... Very cool. So check that out at uh, Indiegogo for Stereo Gum. Yeah. Uh, speaking of awards, the BET Awards took place with streamed performances by Lizzo, well, Chris Brown. I don't have the performances here. Um, there were several performances, but oh. the names I have here were the major winners of the night. Okay, so major winners were Lizzo, Chris Brown, yeah, the baby. And Megan the Stallion. Yeah, so the biggest, bigger names for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it seems like it was a kind of cool setup. They had like some of the like uh, introduction stuff at like a studio, but then did a lot of the performances, like I said, streaming from other pre-taped locations. Like Megan the Stallion did a Mad Max Fury Road inspired <laughs> performance out in the desert somewhere. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's cool. I think it's cool that they did it, and I wanted to give it a shout-out. Nice. I assume we could also watch all this on YouTube. Presumably these clips are available, yeah. All right. Uh, we also have Beyonce in the news announcing a launch of a new visual album. Yes. Black is King on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it will be based on her soundtrack for the Lion King remake. Which, yes, when they came out, I pointed out had a lot of African influence on it. Yes, so this is her third visual album, if you're counting the one for the self-titled album Beyonce, then Lemonade, Lemonade. and now this. Um, though, yes, unlike those two, this one is based on something that was already released. Um, I'm not sure if there will be original content beyond the songs used on the Lion King uh, soundtrack. Uh, but I guess we'll find out when this thing uh, launches. I did not see a date, but later this year. Well, coming to Disney Plus, which Plus. we have. Uh, we also have the Dixie Chicks officially changing their name to the Chicks and dropping the Dixie in their name. Yeah, I think good intent here. Like, I think that it makes sense why they're doing it. But really, that's the name? <laughs> the Chicks. Just the Chicks. Okay. 
I mean, sure. I guess Lady Bird wasn't an option. <laughs> <laughs> Just the chicks. The D chicks, yeah. maybe not so much. The, and the last chicks. bit that you skipped over is just a follow-up from last week's story about Justin Bieber. Oh, I didn't skip over it. I was going to go back to it because it deals with Justin Bieber. Yeah, it's just the, just a real quick follow-up from last week because he's getting litigious, y'all. Oh, yeah, he is because Justin Bieber files a $20 million lawsuit against Twitter users responsible for his sexual assault allegations. So, yeah, again, totally normal behavior for a guy who definitely didn't do any of these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, watch this being settled out of court. Yeah, exactly. It'll be settled, which is how these, if I can just real briefly step onto the soapbox here, it's how these abusers usually cover up and move on from their abuse and act like nothing happened is that they do settle these things out of court. All right, I'm stepping down. Anyway. Anyways, uh, actually, you want to get back up there? Because you have some thoughts. <laughs> I'll be really brief with these thoughts. And thankfully, they're not political. Well, actually, they're not that political this week. <laughs> I don't know. You, oh. we, you have to talk about Women in Music, Part yes, women, 3 by Haim. Part 3, uh, the new record by Haim. Haim? Haim. I always forget. Haim. Go with Haim. 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 It's your last name. So, uh, if you're not familiar with Time, they've had a few records so far. Uh, they've kind of popped up here and there. They've done a couple of SNL performances. Uh, but their first couple of records were very much like, hey, we like 70s classic rock, and we're going to do that with a modern sheen. And that's basically been their gig for a while. This record changes that a little bit. Uh, this one has them trying some different production techniques, trying different sounds, trying different like different genres on for size. There's a song that sounds very, very like dance poppy on here. There's a song that sounds like UB40. <laughs> there's a song, there's a song. They try all sorts of weird things on this thing. And you know what? It 100% works. I think this is their first truly great record. I really enjoyed it. Um, so. so it works on a hind level compared to their discography or it works on all levels? I think it works really well. I, I think you should give it a try. It's um, varied enough where you might not like all of it, but you might like some of it. Um, and yeah, and they also kind of use it to get a little bit more personal with their lyrics as well. As the name implies, uh, some of the songs do deal with their experiences as women in the music industry. Uh, one song especially kind of calls out a music journalist for some of the inappropriate questions that they've been asked. Um, so yeah, it's it's really, really neat that they've been able to kind of expand their their range a little bit here. And yeah, it's uh, definitely, uh, they did a good job at that. And it's, uh, like I said, I think it's their best yet. Also, um, a little bit on the more indie side of things, I listened to a new record from the band Bad Moves. If you are a uh, watcher of Cartoon Network's Craig of the Creek, you might remember Bad Moves as a band that was drawn into an episode of their first season, um, in an ep- where they teach the uh, Craig and the other gang, the other gang, the members of their gang, uh, how to uh, play instruments, make their own band. It's a very cute episode of that show. Uh, but they're a very real band, and this is their second record, um, Untenable and it rules um it's a pop punk like ode to the woes of capitalism there's a handful of songs here just about like 
not being paid for labor, about being forced out of jobs, about like the, the struggle of being uh, kind of paycheck to paycheck. It's really important in this time to, to like have a band like just railing against the, the beast of capitalism like this. It's it's catchy, it's just driving, it's it's a lot of fun and probably one of my favorite things I've heard all year. Uh, so it, so, ro- it rolls and I want to keep against the machine. <laughs> yes, the raging against a machine, you could say. It doesn't sound anything like rage against the machine though, I should warn you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if you enjoy kind of like pop punk pop punk stuff kind of close to that Jeff Rosenstock record I talked about a few weeks ago, you'll enjoy this Bad Moves record. It's a lot of fun. And that's it. That's all I listened to this week. All right. Uh, like I said, I listened to the uh, Lady Gaga Chromatica album. I yeah. also listened to Dua Lipa's Futuristic Nostalgia because I was in a pop mood this weekend. Well, there you go. Had more than, more than enough. Yep. All right. Let's move on. All right, let's move on to video games. Why don't we? And why don't we start with new releases with Iron Man VR for the PlayStation? Finally. This is different. I know, finally. And this is different from the Marvel Avengers game uh, from Crystal Dynamics. Yeah. Two different games. Both feature Iron Man, though. It's a standalone Iron Man experience. You are Iron Man. But it's Iron Man VR, so. VR. Yeah, could be good. Uh, we also have Trackmania for the PC. Yep. Catherine, colon, full body for the Switch. Yep. NASCAR Heat 5 for the PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Mm-hmm. If you haven't played the first four games, that's okay. I'm pretty sure you can just jump into this and let it rip. <laughs> all that NASCAR lore, you're going to miss all of it. Uh, and lastly, we have Super Liminal on the PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, our first story has to deal with Animal Crossing. Oh. Ew. As Animal Crossing, colon, New Horizons will get its summer update on July 3rd. That's this Friday. A lot of stuff dropping this Friday. Popular Friday. Uh, bringing, All day weekend. Yep. Uh, bringing diving, new sea creatures, characters, and mermaid DIY recipes with it. You've been living next to the ocean in Animal Crossing for months, and now you can finally jump into it for a swim. Dive in, and you'll find new oceanic bottom dwellers like eels, anemones, and starfish that you can then present to blathers. Another new addition is a cute little guy, Pascal the Otter who will swap scallops for mermaid-themed DIY recipes. Why does it sound like you're doing like a children's story right now? Is Animal Crossing not a children's story? <laughs> no, it's serious. It's about debt. You're right. Gulliver is back too. <laughs> he seems to have had some kind of pirate makeover for the summer season. So there you go. More Animal Crossing. That's really Hey, old. new Animal Crossing updates. Uh, this follows, of course, their past Easter update with all the eggs and their recent butterfly butterfly update? Bug update? Yeah, the, well, the bug, bu- bug off was like a competition. Okay, the most yeah. recent thing was wedding season, which was their June event. So this That's is, what it was. All the weddings, the all the animals getting married. But yeah, uh, I know a friend of the show, Christy, is very excited for this. Apparently diving was a thing that was in the 3DS game um, and that they're bringing over to this game. Oh, okay. 
So there you go. Mm. All right, let's move into our last story, which segues into your thoughts. So let's. I'm trying to get to the our, our deadline here. Yes, with The Last of Us Part Two. Yes, as it is now PS4s or rather Sony's fast. I guess not all of Sony, but yeah, the PS4s. The PS4s, yeah. Yes, fastest selling exclusive from an internal studio. Yeah. Uh, PlayStation Worldwide Marketing Boss Eric Lamper shared the news in a post on the official PlayStation blog, revealing that the next chapter in Naughty Dog's post-apocalyptic story sold more than 4 million copies as of June 21, 21st. It went on sale on June 19th, so that only represents its first weekend worth of sales. Pretty impressive. Uh, 4 million of anything is impressive. Yeah. Uh, quote, we are so immensely grateful to the millions and millions yeah. of fans around the world that have played The Last of Us Part Two and shared their experiences with us over the last week, said creative director Neil Druckmann in a brief message to the players. He went on to say, quote, We set out to tell a new kind of story, one that deals with difficult things and would challenge you in unexpected ways. Hearing how the experience has reson- resonated with so many of you and witnessing the type of thoughtful discussions it has <laughs> has been so incredible. That's putting it in the most lightly way possible. Yeah, uh, thoughtful. Thoughtful discussions. <laughs> Knocked my glasses off. Thoughtful discussions is definitely yeah, underselling the chaos that has been talking about this game on the internet. Neil Druckmann himself being guilty of basically complaining about negative reactions to the game on social media. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. So speaking of negative discussion, no, I know you're positive on this thing. So I'm not even going to pretend. Are you still like, who said I'm positive on this thing? So last week, let's recap last, like real briefly last week, Last week, you said you had gotten to what you thought was some sort of halfway point. Something was was about to change majorly, and you weren't sure whether or not it would be the same game on the other end of the tunnel. Well, how far are you in that tunnel? Oh, I came out the other tunnel on the other side. I completed the game. I'm currently going back through it to 100% the game to get the Platinum Trophy, and then I may even may have possibly also started a new, new game plus. Okay. So, how do you feel? So, following me completing the game, I immediately went to see, like, okay, what was all the controversy about? What was all the leaks about? What was everyone complaining about? Why was this game going to suck so much, according to everyone on the internet? Why, was, why were people telling me not to invest money over time into this game? Apparently, you know, hindsight now being 2020 the big leak that came out was that joel gets killed off okay first off i guess that ruins everything spoiler <laughs> this is just a spoiler filled i'm so sorry to anybody who's listening to this and did not want to get spoiled on the last of us 2 i'm so sorry he should have said that this would be a spoil talk we did not discuss this before we recorded i did not know it was going to be spoilers oh sorry spoiler talk wait so you don't mind when if i post spoil. this when you post this, make sure you put right before Last of Us Part Two spoilers inside. Yeah, so that it'll be in the them. in the discussion in the chat. Uh, I'm glad we're not doing this live right now. Thank God this is a marooned edition. I know. 
Anyway, okay, so spoilers start now. Go. All right, so spoilers, in case the internet hasn't spoiled you already. Matt, you don't care about spoilers, right? I don't care. I'm not going to play this game. All right. So Joel dies within like the first act. He is the inciting distance incident. That death is the inciting incident to this whole story that sets Ellie off on her journey. Apparently, this is the thing that irked a lot of people because they wanted to play as Joel. However, playing the game, that's not the intent here. This was not Joel's story. Joel's story was The Last of Us Part 1. Mm-hmm. Want more of Joel, go play Joel's story in The Last of Us. <laughs> this is Ellie's journey. This is Ellie's story. This is Ellie growing up. This is At Ellie least until teenage. a certain point, right? Yeah. This is, this is Ellie's uh, not redemption arc, but rather revenge. her revenge arc. Yeah. This is a revenge story. This, the whole thing that I got out of this was actions have consequences. That was a thing that kind of wasn't a whole heavily hearted in the first one, which was about father-daughter relationships. It was about humanity. What, what is best for me? What's best for everyone? Was the best thing to do. Here, it is your actions have consequences. Clearly, as we know from the first one, which apparently, I guess that's my major takeaway of listening to just nonstop people wail on this game. Because I, let me put this out there first. I enjoyed it. I loved this game. Before I get too deep into this, I want to heavily praise this game because I'm going to, I feel like, attack all the criticism that this game has. This game is beautiful. It is well done. It is well shot. The characters are interesting. The characters are different. The characters have unique personalities. They all have something to give to this story, to which the story then rips at you and takes away. There's something in this game that I can see from a creative aspect that they're pointing at, that your actions have consequences, that it's not just you killing random people, that these people have families. This is a post-apocalyptic world. They're not just, like in most games, dead zombies, hordes, faceless people. Like, these people are people. These people are part of a society. Society they're trying to rebuild and be better than the one before it. With all that being said, I think a lot of people mistook the first game and its ending to be Joel is the hero, Joel needs to save Ellie because we love Ellie. Not what Joel did was wrong because now the whole world is still fucked. (laughs) Joel's action was the wrong choice. Which real quick, that seems insane to me because I feel like the game, the first game's ending was pretty obvious about how it felt about the, like how you were supposed to feel about it. Like, the th- key thing for me was is that you're supposed to know that Joel screwed up as soon as Ellie basically lies to him about being like totally okay with everything. Like once she fig- figures out, it's like, oh, okay. And well, yeah, at the very end, the, the last little scene. bit, last scene where is like, don't, like, don't ask me about it. Yeah, and she what just, I said happened happened. Yeah, basically, it's like, are you coming with me? And and Ellie just has to go like. Uh, okay, and you know she's hesitant because she mm-hmm. knows he's lying to her. But she, she has the inkling that she's li- that he's lying. That so it's not opinion, the whole truth. That, and if it's not lying, it's at least not the whole truth. Right, exactly. And so, so to me, that seems so obvious back in 2013. That's insane to me. People would still think Joel is like this heroic figure. Like the whole game was telling you about how messed up he is. The whole game is telling you how selfish he is. Yeah. 
Right. And so when this whole, the first game, when this new game starts, it shows that, oh, Joel has grown as a person. He's grown as a, a person, has grown in the society. He's grown to be more trusting of people, mm-hmm. to which is the immediate thing that people point to in him breaking a character, which is, no, I wanted Joel from the last, from two years, three years ago, four years mm-hmm. ago, because it was a four-year jump. That they wanted Joel from four years ago, not now. They wanted to play as Joel then, as the same person who just goes around killing people, mm-hmm. which this game clearly points at is the wrong thing to do. You don't go around just killing people because they're hunting you. That there has to be a better option. There has to be a better way. You can't live in a society like this where you just go around killing people because those actions have consequences, whether it's people you're directly dealing with or people that you indirectly deal with that come back to haunt you, that come back to fight you, that at, at no point they'll stop ever hunting you, that you're always looking over your shoulder and you can't live like that. Mm-hmm. And even if you do somehow, which I thought was really clever, find a way to put that behind you, your past will still eventually catch up with you. Okay. And I think a lot of people just completely ignored that aspect as soon as Joel died. Because it's like, oh, I don't care. You've completely ruined this game for me. Which is wrong. It's a wrong way to think about it. So is this the bulk of the criticism you've seen is based on this? A bulk of the criticism I've seen is based on that, yes. Okay. Uh, the other criticism I've seen is that you're playing as the quote-unquote villain. Uh, and that, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that take. And that is where I am, where I was last week, where I just started playing as right. Abby, the villain, and how people didn't... Yeah, I want to put <laughs> quotes around that, the antagonist, because she's not the villain of this thing because there are no good people in this game. I was going to say, but la- like, like we said last week, which is this, is, this is a game where you have to go in understanding that nobody's good. Right. Nobody's classically good. Everybody's out for themselves. Exactly. This is not a story of, like, The Last of Us where it's the lesser of two evils. This you is... could even say that about The Last of Us Part 1 and to a certain extent. The only reason why Ellie is not really, you can't really put her into that camp is because she's so young and she's still learning and reacting. Also, she was dragged across country. This was not her journey. Yeah, She was along for the ride, which is why you were played as Joel and not really as Ellie. By this point, though, she becomes a person with active choices that she makes. She has an agenda. No longer given that free pass. Right. She has an agenda that she is actively going towards. Yeah. And I think people who played the first half and really enjoyed it all of a sudden get switched, get complete whiplash. And because they still, because in that moment, they still see Abby as the person who killed Joel, something that they see as an irredeemable action, even though she clearly has a whole backstory where she was there in Last of Us Part One, unseen as this doctor's daughter who you then brutally murder, said doctor, who then take away the only hope of the fireflies, who then eventually leads to this dismantlement of the fireflies, which lead her at, leads her and her group as a liar, traitor, basically the, the what do I call it? The false prophet messiah that they were sworn to believe throughout the whole first game. 
And so basically her whole life has gone to shit because Joel killed everyone there and stole away the one hope. Right. So she's on this whole redemptive arc initially of wanting revenge, but then also wanting to find a new place for herself and for everyone else to live. Which they do find in Washington, which I'll, I'll take another side step here. Great choice picking Seattle as the place for this. I yeah. loved it. I loved every aspect of it. Um, I love seeing new cities in this whole mm. post-apocalyptic world, detrimental everywhere. It's really nice to see. Uh, also with that, uh, let me see here. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a really good game, but yeah, I can see why people are being angry at it. Mm -hmm. I just don't agree with everyone being angry at it. (laughs) So this, I wasn't going to play it, but this is making me want to play it because there's some other stuff that I've seen people criticize the game for that you have not mentioned at all. Um, and we do not have time to get into it. So maybe maybe I will play this game after all. And maybe what we'll do is down the line when we have some more free time, maybe we'll do a big, like just a whole cast about it. Because I yeah. feel um, yeah, because I know yeah, there are like a lot of the whole criticism I've other seen about it is people not liking Abby, not even as a character, not being sympathetic, but her as a character model. And that seemed to be like an extreme yeah. first thing they always attacked. I was like, okay. Like uh because if you had some like if you're if you had five years with only one goal of hunting down a single person, wouldn't you put every waking moment in effort into either A, finding that person, or B, making sure you are ready when you eventually do confront that person? Yeah. yeah. And that is something that I think people miss in the four-year gap. Or just don't care about. Yeah. Or just, like, just blaze past because they have an agenda. (laughs) Right. Yeah, or, or it's either they have an agenda, or they think other people have an agenda that they're trying to put forward, and they don't want to accept it. Exactly. Okay. Well, tell you what, I got holiday weekend coming up. Yep. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll pull the trigger on this thing, and yeah, maybe we can record a separate podcast for this when we, so that way we can like kind of have more time to really get in the nitty gritty about it. Because I think it's very telling that there's so much to say about this game that you have not talked about the gameplay at all today. No, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, is there's a lot. There's a lot going on in this game. There's a lot story-wise, a lot gameplay-wise. We there's a lot that went time. into making this game, but yeah. it's too much time for us. Yeah, there's not enough time to go into it. So yeah, unless I mean, you want to spend another hour on this, no, which you I don't want to. So what I'll say is that Media Book Podcast will do a special Last of Us Two Part Two thing. Um, I'll give myself some time to, I guess, play this game because I feel like we cannot have a like a good conversation about it unless I played it. And I, I think that's a lot. That's also something that I saw looking at other people's videos is that they themselves didn't play it. They just yeah. watched someone else play it. And I think that disconnect of watching someone else play it and not experience Maybe. it yourself Maybe. will lead to a different um, also, I know, outcome. Also, I know it's going to look damn good on that television. On your 4K? Yeah. Yep. 
It's like part of me just wants to see it. But also because you have the Pro, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, my, yeah, because I have the original PlayStation. It just spun up like a jet fan every single Oh, no, I mean, mine's going to be freaking loud, too, but at least it's going to look good. Yeah, but not well. Like, as soon as I, like, started up, just immediately, like, <laughs> trying to struggle oh. to keep up with everything. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that. Maybe next week we'll talk about if, if um, we have, like, a, a date for that to go up. But, yeah, that will be a podcast that we'll have to do at some point. Yep, we'll do. All right, but, but with that, that wraps us up. It does. Uh, so thank you for joining us for the Media Book Podcast for this week. We will be back next week for another regular episode. Marooned, of course. So thank you. And if you want to see us, uh, our faces, uh, while we do this podcast, you can see our recorded versions of these Marooned podcasts on YouTube.com. Just search Media Book Podcast and find our page. You can also find archived footage of us playing video games, like you playing some of Last of Us Part 2, on our YouTube channel. If you want to hear the audio version that's available through most podcast services, just search Media Boat Podcast there. You can also find us on social media. Media Boat Cast is our Twitter handle. almost said Twitter candle. I don't know what that is. Facebook, you can find our page if you search Media Boat Podcast. You can also find us twitch.tv slash mediaboat for our older video game streams. And last but not least, if you have any questions, comments, anything that you want to say to us, you can email us at mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. So stay tuned and have a good, safe 4th of July weekend if you're in the United States. We'll be back next week with more thoughts, news, Maybe some more Last of Us Part 2 discussion. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Be back next week. Okay, Okay, bye.